0: ECU. Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo, on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now,
1: here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors on a Monday, a reaction Monday. East Carolina falls to Navy, ten nothing. They get shut out for the first time in 26 years. The 322-game streak of scoring at least a point in football comes to an end. It's been a miserable offensive season for East Carolina. Fitting, unfortunately, for the Pirates that they suffer a shutout to end that streak. 26 years, ten nothing. They fall to two and nine on the season. And lose another game, and they will play the season finale. This coming weekend against Tulsa, of course, the big news offensive coordinator Johnny Kirkpatrick. It was announced by Mike Houston on Sunday morning that he will not return next season. They will go in a different direction moving forward. It sounds like he, obviously, in the statement, he will coach the final game. We'll get clarification, and we assume he will still call the plays. We have the press conference, of course, coming up on Tuesday. We'll see if we get the chance to talk to Donnie Kirkpatrick at his weekly press conference as well. But the big news, there will be a change with offensive play caller moving forward. A new offensive philosophy, it seems like, going forward for Mike Houston's team. 252-561-8255 is the number if you want to call in, ask a question, make a comment. Again, that number, 252-561-8255. Steve and I go here. And Philip Pilkington is producing behind the glass. Philip, I think we all kind of expected this news at some point. It was just more of a matter of when, given how the season has gone. And look, I mean, you can't be as bad as you've been offensively and not make drastic changes. We knew it was coming, and it just, for whatever reason, the timing was now. And I guess after being shut out for the first time in 26 years, it had to happen now.
0: Yeah, I think it didn't happen earlier in the season because we kind of talked about it. Like, this coaching staff was dealt kind of a tough hand with two offensive linemen leaving, with Holton leaving, just with everything. Not obviously going to go into all that. But I think making a coordinator change earlier in the season, how much would have really fixed? Probably not much. And I think the reason why they put the statement out now is just solely because of the shutout. That's their way of telling the fans, hey, you know what? we care, we realize that you're upset, we care that you're upset, we care that we got shut out, this is how we're approaching it. So I think that was the timing and the reason why they decided to do it with one week left in the season. I think if ECU loses 17-10 this past week, that probably doesn't happen. However, like you kind of brought up, we knew it was probably going to happen at the end of the year, but that was just administration and Coach Mike Houston's way of saying, okay, you know what, we see the problem, we are addressing the problem to kind of get the pitchforks brought back, but, you know, like I said, if they'd have done it earlier in the year, I think we'd still have the same record we do right now. Heck, we might only have one win. I mean, there was nobody really on the staff ready to step in. It was an unfortunate situation. The season's been a bust offensively, and I don't think Donnie Kirkpatrick is the sole reason to point that finger, and it's just unfortunate. There's not much else to say.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just – look, Donnie is uh, one of the best pirate assistants of all time, and, you know, I don't say that you know with a lot of research and facts behind it like he you look at he's been on three staffs he has coached some incredible players some of the best players in ecu history and yeah the the oc stint was up and down certainly finishing on a down note but coach zay jones justin hardy dwayne harris i mean that's three of the best receivers in ecu history coach holton ayler's for the previous four years, who broke every school record, helped get the program out of a hole with Mike Houston, had some monster wins under uh, Skip Holtz, Ruff McNeil. On that staff, clearly not finishing on a high note, but I don't think that necessarily changes his legacy as a great pirate assistant. So Donnie is, is class act through and through, and but even he, I think, would tell you, and if we talk to him this week, I think he'll say, look, it was just time for a change. I mean, he's been in this business long enough to know the results can't be this in year five and there not be major changes. And look, there are a, a series of reasons why ECU is in this position offensively. I went through a, uh, a detailed report on hoistthecolors.net for our subscribers, really running running down six different points that led to this. You can go check that out, Hoist the Colors. Kind of the perfect storm that has led to really the, the, the worst ECU offense in modern history. Uh, that has resulted in one of the worst ECU football seasons, despite a really good defense. Two and nine, ECU sits heading into the season finale. Michael Jones on YouTube says, "What a clown show throwing Donnie under the bus, but not even firing him." So after the game, I did ask Mike Houston, you know why why not make a, a quarterback change? Or did you guys think about making a quarterback change at any point in the Navy game? It was clear what they were doing wasn't working. And if not making a quarterback change, why not in this particular game? And he essentially said, you know, I need to talk to Donnie about that. You know, he felt Alex Flynn was the, the best quarterback to go to. And, I, you know, I tried to figure out the right way to ask the follow-up question. And I asked essentially, well, you know, can you or did you think about overruling that and going with Garcia or Jeter? And he said with Flynn, he practiced the best. And with it being a throwing game, and Navy playing a lot of pass defense and stopping the run, he felt that Flynn gave them the best chance. So after that comment, I kind of got the feeling that if it didn't happen immediately, it was certainly going to happen right after the season finale. It did happen like that, and uh, you know certainly it was it was the most mad and upset I've seen Coach Houston after the game, probably from the standpoint of they did everything they wanted to do against the option you hold them to one legitimate scoring drive so much goes into defending this option they work all year on it you hold navy to 10 points you hold them to seven legitimate points you should win the football game and i think coach houston as a defensive coach was ticked off and uh you know that you know what was said was said and just being down there outside the ecu locker room a lot of mad mad people uh we talked to savon revel he was as mad as he's been all year. He's usually pretty laid back, go with it, guy. Uh, he was ticked off. I mean, they had just laid their their heart on the line against a physical team, held them to one scoring drive, and you lose. And it's just disappointing to be in that situation. So, unfortunately, Philip, I gave them too much credit. I, I don't know what. I don't know if we all give a score prediction for the game. My final score prediction was thirteen six Navy. I thought they would at least get a couple field goals on the on the board. They did not have a single drive more than four plays or more than five plays, excuse me, until the the fourth quarter when it was a two score game when Navy was just called the dogs off essentially, not to get a big play. No sustained drives at all. Did not enter the Navy thirty yard line. It was one of the more helpless, disheartening performances I've ever seen from uh, uh, one side of the ball in EC football history.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the more frustrating things about it was it's not like there were deflating plays going on on the other side of the football. I was not alive in 1997, the last time the Pirates got shut out. But from what I understand, Donovan McNabb was torching on the defense. The offense had no opportunities to get anything going. I mean, obviously, you know, they still should have scored. should always score. But, you know, when you look at this game, it's like defense had plenty of three and outs. Plenty of short drives. Two turnovers in in midfield. Exactly. Plenty of times you had good field position. I mean, yeah, you didn't start at the plus 25, but when you start at midfield, if you pick up two first downs and kick a field goal, we're having a different conversation right now. But but obviously, I guess they did get in in field goal range once. They missed it. But, I mean, there was no identity to the offense. I just – I'm kind of at a loss for words. I don't even know what to say. I know you're trying to get some analysis here cuz you are too. To say, There's, There's nothing, nothing to say, Phil. There's nothing to say. <laughs> it's just I don't know, you want to talk about the Broncos or something. I don't know. It's just uh yeah, how do you
1: It's just it's, it's why this change had to be made because it's why it had
0: to be made when it was made.
1: It was just you know, the, they tried different quarterbacks, they've tried they tried different running back personnel. You know, Rajay Harris is I don't know if you saw the tweet or not, Philip, but he was basically saying, after the game, Rajay's done this much for ECU. How can you treat him like this? Look, I love Rajay to death. Tremendous human being. Great football player. But he's averaging 3.1 yards per carry. I don't blame the coaches at all for trying something different. And did it work? No, not really. And I think that is a direct reflection of what the running game is, can't do up front. You know, we did see Javius Bond get a big run. But at you know they tried different personnel at running back. They've tried some different receivers. Brock Spaulding got a start, played 25 snaps. They've tried some different offensive linemen. You know, and, and it's just weird they didn't try a different quarterback at any moment, but or at any moment during that game. But I don't know. Man, I, I'm I'm done analyzing the offense. Phillip. i bum with you. I we've analyzed it all season. It's clear. It's just it, it's just bad. And this is why the change was made. And. uh it is what it is. All right, let's get to some of these comments. Steve Hill wants to know, is Shane Carden a realistic option for offensive coordinator? I just don't see it, especially not for OC, Steve. I mean, he's a high school coach, and he he probably does call plays there. I assume he does. But to go from an, a, a high school coach in Idaho to call him plays at East Carolina, I'm not saying he couldn't do it, but that just is something that doesn't happen. Re, you know, Realistically, if he wants to come in as a GA or an offensive analyst – that would probably be your starting point. But also, you're probably going to bring in somebody as no OC who, who has no ties to Shane Carden, And unless you see somebody from that tree, from the Lincoln Rally tree, then I just don't see it. And I, I understand the thought, one of your more prolific quarterbacks in program history, but there are plenty of qualified, good OCs out there that would gladly take $430,000 to call plays at East Carolina next year. Uh, and I think ECU can do a good job finding that person. And uh, you know we'll see. We'll get a lot of questions too, Philip, about who will the OC candidates be. I'm diving into that right now. Uh, we've had some of that discussion on hoistthecolors.net in today's VIP chat. I've also gotten a lot of comments about, hey, why would any OC come here, given the fact Coach Houston is probably going to be in a make-or-break year. And my response to that is. You know, Coach Houston, A, is pretty tied in. He does have a track record, so it's not like he's, he's never won. B, ECU is paying a lot of money for their coordinators right now at East Carolina. And you look at every other group of five program, especially any other conference outside of the American, it would be a pay raise. Certainly, you can go down to the FCS level. There are plenty of qualified, A, head coaches and offensive coordinators at that level that would be doubling or near double their salary to come call plays at ECU and coaches. Let me tell you, they've got most of them have a pretty big ego. They think they can be the guys that fix a problem. And hey, if you come in and you fix this offense and you keep this defense together, all of a sudden you've got a conference championship Phillips. So I think I, I think maybe your pool is limited somewhat there, but overall you're going to be able to get a, a pretty quality hire if you're if you're East Carolina.
0: Yeah, I think you will. I mean, you know, you're a group of five school, like you said. Um, Coach Houston's had success everywhere he's been. He's not the guy who took a GA at a big-time Power 5 University and then all of a sudden he's got a head coach at the FCS level, or at the group of five level. This is a guy who started D2, went to FCS, and has clawed his way here, which proves he can win football games. And, you know, as far as kind of like reaching out and saying, what are the candidates going to be like? Well, the candidates need to be a guy who's developed quarterbacks. And that's kind of my one – not, not knock on Shane Carden as, as good as Shane was. I mean, do we know whether he can develop college quarterbacks? I don't know. I think we need a guy kind of like you said with a proven track record that can come in and say, hey, you know what? I've, I've taken quarterbacks who were young or didn't have success other places and developed them because at the end of the day, you know, Coach Houston's a defensive-minded coach, and there's nothing wrong with having a defensive-minded head coach. But when you're a defensive-minded head coach, you need an O.C., in the era of 2023 when you don't have Trent Dilford winning the Super Bowl anymore, you have superstars being successful at the collegiate level, at the high school level, at the NFL level when it comes to the quarterback position, you need a coach that is offensive-minded and offensive quarterback-minded. Whereas Donnie Kirkpatrick, his specialty was getting the – balls to playmakers in space. He was a former wide receivers coach. There's nothing wrong with that, but when you pair that with a head coach who doesn't have a history of developing quarterbacks, that's probably where some of the issues came into play. So I think we need to go out, get a guy who's done it and been in these kind of situations, and I think there are plenty of guys out there. Like you said, you're not getting paid chump change to coach here. There will be candidates. We just got to hit on one.
1: And I ran through some names last night. And just to give you all an idea, you know, somebody asks who who would be a good fit here. You know, I look at the FCS ranks, and, again, this is preliminary research. This is no, hey, I'm hearing this guy's involved. This is me looking at the situation saying, all right, these are guys who are producing at, quote, unquote, lower schools, lower paying schools that could make the jump here. So this is just, again, speculation but names that would make sense. You look at Western Carolina. They are averaging more than 500 yards per game. At the FCS level, They're, they rank number one in the FCS in total offense. Kerwin Bell is their head coach, uh, longtime head coach. His son, I believe, Cade Bell is the OC. So you could look in that direction maybe if you want to uh, try and you know get a uh, high-powered offense from the FCS level. Justin Roper at Furman has done a really good job at Holy Cross and at Furman. Uh, scoring points, doing it in a balanced style with some pretty exotic run uh, concepts. So if you want to stay more balanced but add some creativity to it, he would make some sense. Trey Lamb at Gardner-Webb, he's the head coach there. He would be getting a significant pay raise to be the OC here. He's uh, called it. He's got a pretty wide-open offense, uh, but also one that you know could put ECU playmakers in better positions from a matchup advantage standpoint. He's done more with less there. Um, also, OCs at the at the G5 level that are getting paid less than what ECU pays. Brian Ellis at Georgia Southern, who worked under uh, the Heltons, which are known for their high-powered offense. He's done a good job. Major Applewhite, former head coach at Houston, he's been the OC at South Alabama a few years. He's done a good job. Travis Trickett at OC or at Coastal Carolina, he's the OC. He actually worked with Alan Mogridge at USF last year. Uh, so you got some guys that just make sense in terms of hey they could get a pay raise maybe some ties naturally to the area or experience could be willing to make that jump so there's just a few names and again i have not dove into the let's look in the sec the acc who are some position coaches that can make that jump too this is all stuff that mike houston and his people are going through right now to figure out the best fit and i'm with you philip i you know this is turn into an OCS show, which I figured it would. But I personally would love to see somebody who has proven experience developing college successful quarterbacks and calling plays. And if I'm going to go the P5 route and get an assistant who is not called plays, he better be a guy that everybody believes is going to be a slam dunk because I want that experience, that proven experience, given the situation.
0: Well, and he better be a guy who's been under a guy who's got proven track record that right. he can call plays, and a guy who's maybe a quarterback's coach and not a wide receiver's coach that has maybe de- been solely in charge of the quarterbacks, solely in charge of developing quarterbacks, and then, yeah, the OC came in and called all the plays who he learned under, And but no, I'm 100% with you. It's like, we're at a spot right now. We are too big of a program, and I get it. we're not a power five, but there's too big of a fan base, too much history here to not be able to get a guy with a proven track record. You know, this is a school that is known for being a solid football school. Yes, maybe the last decade hasn't proven that. But overall, if you look back, you know, from the 80s on, this is historically a pretty good football program. There's no reason we should not be able to get a guy with a track record. And that's something we need right now because we do need that slam dunk turnaround. You know, I've never been one of those guys that's in the always win now mindset. You know, I believe in rebuilds. I believe things take time. But with how drastically this thing fell off you better bounce back just as hard or there's going to be some problems
1: east carolina has had problems the last two years defensively pass coverage was a major issue they fixed that ecu fixed the defense under coach houston after year one making a coordinator change the kicking game special teams was a relative disaster last year that was fixed this will be the biggest test for coach houston again he's a defensive minded coach now he's got to find a way to fix this offense We'll talk about that more on the other side and throughout the show. This is Hoist the Colors on a Reaction Monday.
0: Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Steve and I go. How good is this? On 94.3 The Game.
1: Welcome in Hoist the Colors Reaction Monday. And we are talking about the OC change that I guess the technical term is coming. Will come, Philip. I mean, he is... Uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick, of will not return after the season, but he's still employed as the OC and will continue that through the Tulsa game. We'll talk to Mike Houston tomorrow at the press conference. I believe we're scheduled to talk to both coordinators this week as well, and so we will try to uh, to get clarification on how exactly this will play out. But either way, there will be an offensive coordinator change, ECU 2-9 and after a 10 nothing loss to Navy. If you would like to call in, You can do that. 252-561-8255 is the number. Again, 252-561-8255. Feel free to call in. Otherwise, drop your comments on Facebook, YouTube. We'll get to them. We just had a busy first segment. All right. We got to get to our East Coast Agency Pirate of the Week. Let's go ahead and do that. And once again, East Carolina's on Jaquan McMillan, primetime Jaquan McMillan does what he does. He forces turnovers. He had the forced fumble against the Buffalo Bills last week on Monday Night Football. This week, fumble recovery, pick, Denver Broncos win 21-20. They have won four games in a row after a 1-5 start. They are 5-5, five and five, and they are back in the playoff mix. Jaquan McMillan has been a major part of this turnaround. They inserted him at nickel. Four weeks ago, and they have not lost since. So Jaquan McMillan, our Pirate of the Week, as they win on Sunday Night Football again. He is the highest-rated player, once again, for the third straight week for the Denver Broncos defense, according to Pro Football Focus, and he's the highest-rated player for the Denver Broncos defense this season, doing a tremendous job in his second year out of East Carolina as an undrafted free agent. Still boggles my mind, he was not drafted. Jaquan McMillan, our East Coast Agency, prior to the week, East Coast Agency, is excited to announce the opening of their office in Greenville, North Carolina. Call Drew Moeller at 3- 252-341-8818. Remember, it doesn't matter who your agent is until it does. Thanks again to ECA, Tim Vleet for the support of the program. Check out their new Greenville office. And Drew Moeller, again, that number, 252-341-8818. For all your insurance needs. All right. We do have a caller standing by, and uh, let's go ahead and get to him. And uh, welcome into the program.
0: Uh, Steven, this is Jim. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. How are you doing?
0: Good. Good. Got a quick, two quick questions for you. One, would you do a little review of maybe any young offensive linemen that you think we've got in the program that uh, maybe have potential for the future? Uh, also as far as the NIL and I've already done my contribution, but, uh, what about coach Houston? He's making a lot more money than I am. Uh, he needs to step up and be an example and, and put his own money in. And I think that would go a long way toward, you know, the fan base responding. So that's my couple of points.
1: Yeah. Well, first off, I appreciate the call. And, uh, I think from a legality standpoint, he cannot directly give to nil coaches cannot give directly now i've heard like biff pogey and charlotte and other cases where there are ways to basically redirect your money through so what i would say is if if he were to give he can't say it or you'd get in trouble for it i don't know if he would or would not do that I, i can't speak to that but Look, you know, Cliff Govin was on the show a couple weeks ago. He talked about how he's given $210,000 of his own money back into the program. Now, that was back into facilities, which is legal. Like, Coach Houston could donate to the indoor practice facility, uh, which is completely legal. But as far as the NIL, it's a bit of a tri- tricky subject there. I understand your point, though. It's, uh, look, I mean, everybody that invests in the Pirate Club, Team Boneyard, they are all stockholders, and they want to see a good product, and, uh, I, I do encourage people to continue to invest. Last week, Team Boneyard raised close to five hundred thousand dollars, maybe over that alone. With this push, I think more is coming, and I think that's going to pay. You know, regardless of who the coach is, I think ECU has got to get behind NIL. They're never going to be at the top, but continue to try and give everything you you can. You know, w- within your your income uh, structure, to put this program in the best position to succeed. You need, you know, NIL is just a piece of it. It's not going to make or break uh, East Carolina. You got to have the coaching. You got to have the ability to develop and recruit, but you do have to have an NIL presence to help retain and attract talent. And clearly, going into this offseason, that's a key. As far as the offensive line, the interesting thing about this unit is basically everybody playing has eligibility remaining. And the question for me is if I'm the coaching staff and if I'm Mike Houston, I look at it and say, all right, how many of these guys? Many of them who are playing for the first time because you you lost four starters and Isaiah Foote, your one returning starter, has not really played a lot this year. How many of these guys will get better, can get better, and become adequate linemen? Because right now the offensive line is not good enough. Everybody can see that. Parker Moore has struggled at left tackle at times, but he's more of a right tackle or more of a right guard. So if you go out and get a left tackle in the porter, port- portal, he probably becomes a better player if he can go back to his original home. He's still got a year of eligibility remaining. You've got some young guys who I think are going to be very good. Emmanuel Poco, Poku is a redshirt freshman. He's been playing some right tackle. Realistically, he's a little overmatched right now, but I think he's a guy who can really benefit from a year or two in the program. Jacob Sakra has started basically every game at right guard. He is a redshirt freshman. So you got two redshirt freshmen right there that you can build around. Uh, as far as other guys in the program – Dustin Hall is a grad student, but he's got a year of eligibility remaining. He's been your starting left guard. You've got two true freshman tackles I'm very high on, Marley O'Neolian and Jamarian McCrimmon. I've heard very good things about McCrimmon. Really looks like a solid young offensive line prospect, but he's a freshman. He's got to develop. Uh, Cam Durant and Bryce Weaver are two other freshmen that have uh, plenty of eligibility remaining, but just need to develop on the interior. And then you've got Owen Murphy At right tackle, who's got a year of eligibility left, and Hampton Urgle, your center, who's got a year of eligibility left. So, for me, if I can keep the the core of that together and maybe add a piece or two and develop a a guy or two, I don't think the offensive line is as far away as it seems on paper. But there's a lot there that you got to evaluate. Hey, we're bringing a new OC. What's going to be the system? What can this offensive line do? Because certain systems require more athleticism, certain systems require more power up front. So they're really going to have to evaluate who's a good fit for a certain offensive style and make the adjustment there. But good question, and there are some pieces in the program. I do think you'll see some guys who also leave via the transfer portal because uh, you got some guys just who have not developed over time like, like the staff necessarily thought they were. All right, appreciate the question, uh, Jim, and the questions, and uh, also your thoughts, and thanks for calling in. 252-561-8255 is the number, 252-561-8255. We'll get back to your comments here shortly. Philip. that's the thing. Look, quarterback is going to be number one on the wish list for, for ECU and a lot of schools out there. Uh, offensive line, they've got to find a way to get somehow – even if they got to spend some money via the, the NIO, they got to find a way to get at least one or two proven starters up front. And I really think if you could do that, this offensive line would kind of come together a lot better than it is now because you could move guys around better to where they maybe are more suited to play.
0: Yeah, and I think that is one of the important points that you just made. Move guys to where they're more suitable. Uh, I talked about this two weeks ago on the Bushlight Pirate Game Day countdown. In the year 2023, pass blocking – is gotten so complex and defensive linemen have gotten so athletic that Parker Moore is the perfect example. He's still a good offensive lineman, and he's not a bad left tackle, but he's a much better right tackle because pass blocking is so different. The technique is when you move – positions more so than it's ever been before it used to be run blocking was the issue because different guys did different things now everybody pulls not just guards everybody goes out and screens even centers. centers used to not have to go out and block as part of the screen on screen passes that's not the case offensive linemen are so much more movable when it comes to run blocking and I'm counting the screens as run blocking for offensive line's sake but pass blocking it's so different and guys are struggling when they get moved due to the athleticism of the D-linemen. So if you can bring in, like you said, two, three guys that are proven, put them at their positions, move guys back to where they belong now, I think we will see a drastic change. I do not think there's no potential in our five starters. I think they are in a tough spot. And I don't think it's anyone's fault. Maybe NIL's fault. I can blame whoever invented NIL maybe, because we lost two guys we didn't think we were going to lose, and I think that hurt. And you can say, well, the coaches should have been prepared. Well, you know what, And the era of the transfer portal and NIL, you can't be prepared for everything that can possibly happen. And we just got hosed, and it is what it is, and you can't sit back there and say, well, coaches should have this, could have that. Well, that's the past; doesn't matter. But moving forward, yes, if you can get two or three of the guys, they will make a drastic change, and this offensive line can and I think will be fine – you just got to go out there and find the right guys.
1: And you're going to have to get creative because everybody needs offensive linemen. And there's not enough of them. There's a reason the shot. Strother is getting paid a ton of money, and he's played 27 snaps at Oregon because he's there more for depth. Now, he struggled with injuries, but you just the schools are going to try and hoard these offensive linemen. Now, there are still good enough linemen to come in, whether it be Juco ranks or – guys that maybe, you know, still need to develop a little bit but have years remaining. And I saw many of them visit ECU last year, went elsewhere due to NIL. Not huge NIL presence, but more of an NIL presence than ECU had. So I just think with the money team Boneyard's raising now, you'll at least have the ability to get some of those guys, not the top tier, but good enough players to really help you up front. Uh, WJ O'Connor, we'll hit on this and we'll take a break. Any ideas as to what type of offense Mike Houston wants to run now? Any changes will probably require require a different approach in recruiting. This is the – I mean, to me, this is the big question. How much is is Coach Houston going to change from a philosophy standpoint what ECU is doing offensively? I think he always wants to be balanced. You can be balanced having a heavy pass spread team. We saw it under Lincoln Riley. Back-to-back 1,000-yard rushers. Very effective rushing attack. It's just they threw more to set up the pass. The offensive lineman had wider splits. It was a different system than what is running now. Is he willing to go that far? I mean, people that say Coach Houston doesn't want to adjust at all. He ran the triple option at Lenore Ryan in the Citadel. He would not have gotten hired at James Madison if he ran the triple option there. So he's he's shown he can change a scheme offensively. Defensively here... Under Bob Trott, they were extremely base, vanilla defense. They got shredded year one. He wanted to change to a more multiple attacking defense. That's why they made the coordinator change. That's why they went out and got Blake Carroll. They've changed punt scheme. So Coach Houston has shown the ability to change, and this is the, the, the question I don't know the answer to. How much is he willing to change this time, which will dictate, obviously, what OC he brings in, or is it a matter of... Does he bring in three different OCs with three different styles? Go through a very in-depth, you know, interview process, which he he definitely does in this situation, and kind of decide who's the best fit for what ECU is trying to do. So, a lot to think about there. But these are the conversations that that Coach Houston has to have, you know, obviously internally, but but too with just people in the business. Hey, what is the right area to go to now? Um, and that's my main question, Philip. because we can speculate on the OC candidates who would be a good fit, but ultimately Coach Houston knows exactly what he wants to do going forward, and I think it will be different than what he's doing now.
0: Yeah, it will, and you know, you got to find a guy who I think one of the hardest parts is when you're bringing a guy into a staff that's already set a culture and been somewhere as long as this has. First off, you got to find a guy who meets your culture meets going to coach the same kind of kids that you like to coach. Then you got to find a guy who meets you schematically. And, you know, with Mike Houston being a defensive-minded coach, there might be more options with OCs because he doesn't have his – offensive philosophy as set is maybe a guy who is a former offensive minded guy, but you definitely have to go find that. And then you've got to find the guy who obviously is the most qualified and that you can afford and that is willing to come that meets those first two criteria. And that's tough to do, but to your point, that's what's gonna to have to be done. And if those things aren't met, if those criteria aren't met, guy you get along with culturally that coaches in the same way, that's gonna get along with you and communicate with you well. And again Guy who's going to run a system that you feel like the players who you already have because you're going to retain some of them can fit then nothing else is going to matter but as long as you can get those two done and then go out there and meet the other requirements guys qualified you know ready for the job that you can afford all those things if you meet all those criteria things will turn around they're going to turn around quickly hopefully it happens i have faith in mike houston i have faith in the football gods giving us something, even though they haven't given us much. So we'll see what happens, but uh, it can definitely be done. But it's a it's a much harder thing to do than it is to say. But if anybody can do it, Mike Houston can.
1: And in the portal era, you can make a pretty drastic change overnight. Now, it can also backfire. You can bring in a bunch of transfers that not fit culturally, and it collapsed. So, I mean, it's a, uh, it's a it can be a gamble. I do think ECU's got the culture in place. I mean, we saw it defensively. They brought in those pieces to fix the pass defense. And of course, you did bring back guys like Julius Wood and Tegan Wilk and others, but you developed Siobhan Revel. Uh, you, you brought in – or you developed Isaiah Brown-Murray. You brought in Antoine Jackson as a recruit. You brought in B.J. Davis as a pass coverage linebacker. You brought in uh, some different guys at linebacker and on the edge and made some position changes moving J.D. Lampley from D-tackle to edge to develop that pass rush. And it's resulted in a night and day change from a pass coverage standpoint. And basically it's changed ECU's defense entirely. So it can be done. We'll see if it it will be done this offseason. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We will talk about a lot of questions too about the defensive staff. Can ECU, you know, retain Coach Harrell? What happens if if somebody tries to hire him away? And we'll get into that discussion. We'll also try to talk, uh, you know, some ECU Navy uh, or ECU Tulsa as well at the end of the show. Or maybe we'll just talk coordinators the whole time. I don't know. We'll be back. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday.
0: All right, let's go. Back to go, Hoist go. the Colors with Steven Ico. the Aussie show
1: 194.3, the game. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the Colors reaction Monday. Plenty to discuss. We've talked a lot about the change at offensive coordinator. Johnny Kirkpatrick will not return at the end of the season. Uh, Mike Houston putting out that statement on Sunday morning that they met and it was a mutual decision to part ways. Who knows how the, the conversation really went, but it, it just, it was time. I mean, it was just everybody kind of realized that. And all signs pointed to this as we discussed with Philip Pilkington earlier. If you would like to call in before the end of the show, we're going to one o'clock 252 561 8255. Again, 252 561 8255 is your number all right we had some questions here about blake harrell and uh i think it's a legitimate conversation i mean there's ecu's been great on defense this year philip and the questions kind of pertain to right what happens to ecu's defense if blake harrell gets hired away for a a bigger job and you would think there would be interest uh, in that case, you do have some coaches on staff who could technically get promoted, like Roy Tesh, Trip Weaver, have both been in this defense a long time. Really good coaches. I think they would both do an excellent job. So you have that. You also have the scenario of Blake Carroll has been with Coach Houston a very long time. Lenore Ryan, the Citadel, now at East Carolina. There's probably some loyalty there. So there, there's a lot to factor in. But just like if me or you got a call and somebody was going to double our salary, you got to listen to everything and you got to take in a lot of factors. I mean, it's never as cut and dry as it seems, but it's definitely a conversation worth having and and one that could very well uh, play a big part in this offseason.
0: Yeah, it definitely could. And, you know, if this team was 7-4 and four right now and this defense had put up the exact same numbers, this question – this conversation would not be ha- be if, it would be when. And the win is still going to happen. It just might not be this year. And, you know, I thought you brought up two really good names right there. And I would hope, you know, obviously he's going to try and take as many of his guys with him as he can. You can't blame him for doing that. But you would hope that one of those two guys at least would stay and get promoted because I don't want to say the defense wouldn't miss a beat because it would to an extent. But if anybody's going to fill Blake Harrell's shoes, It needs to be Triff Weaver or Roy Tesh. And, you know, we were talking about it off-air. Tripp's one heck of a recruiter. Obviously, in the NIL, you know, world, does that mean as much as it used to? Maybe not. But these guys have done well in their position groups with injuries. They've done well in Tesh's line with the playing eight different guys in two or three different positions. They know how to get a lot of guys to come together – play together and be happy when their teammates have success. You know, we saw the Spider-Man celebration the other day with the D-line. I guess that wasn't his position. I guess it was more the Rush guys. But still, these guys are part of this system. They've been a big – they've had a big hand in Blake Harrell's success. And don't – not that I'm trying to take anything away from Blake Harrell – But, you know, it would be interesting to see where this goes, and not in a good way, I guess, if if Blake gets poached, but it's a very good possibility. I think there's people here that can fill those shoes. I would hope that's the decision that Coach Houston makes. But this is something we definitely have to prepare for as Pirate fans because at the end of the day, Blake Harrell's ceiling is not a group of five defensive coordinator. It's a head coach somewhere. It's a power five DC. Um, He's young, and this is not the end of the road for him.
1: Coaching is a crazy business. I mean, it's it's one of those things, you know, Mike Houston, really, if, if Mike Houston with his track record, if he bounces back and wins big next year, he could get a lot of jobs. You know, let's just say he hits on the OC, he hits on a quarterback in the portal, and you retain this defense. You could, you could be a conference championship contender next year. I legitimately believe that. It could also go the opposite way. And that's like something that the coach, if you're a coach on the staff or a coach anywhere in any position, you've got to factor in those those things. And so, it's just uh, it's it's a crazy business. You have to make you know you sometimes sometimes you got to make a leap of faith in that business. And also the other thing, if you're Blake Carroll, you know if you return and you return this defensive personnel, the majority of it, you know you're going to be really good on defense next year. And if you have the trust in Mike Houston to fix the offense. You should have a pretty dang good team next year, and he's built something here that's that would be, I think, very hard to walk away from. But you know, at the same time, there's always stuff out there that, uh, you know, sometimes you can't say no to things. I mean, we all understand that in our personal lives too. So, a lot of factors, and we will uh, we'll see how that all plays out. But I mean, definitely the job he's done with this defense has been uh, has been admirable. The whole staff has done a tremendous job, and uh, you know, Coach Houston's a defensive coach, so. If something does happen to that side of the ball, I think he'll make the right decision, and I think there are some in-house answers for sure. Um, All right, let's get back to your comments here. Gary Sproul says, main problem was execution. ECU needs a quarterback desperately. Yeah, I mean, and I wrote about this in the article. East Carolina, the reason they're in this position, above all else, is they have just unfortunately failed to recruit and develop a quarterback despite having four recruiting cycles to do so. Mason Garcia was a four-star recruit, had all the physical tools. Sometimes you don't know until you throw a guy out there how he's going to respond, and unfortunately it hasn't worked out with Mason. Alex Flynn was recruited by the previous staff, did sign with Coach Houston's staff, and I don't know if we ever really expected Oxfam to be in this position year five. He is in this position. I think he's doing his best, but I think realistically he's a guy who needs pieces around him or he's an adequate backup quarterback, and I think the numbers have shown to prove that as he doesn't have those pieces around him. He doesn't have a good offensive line. Uh, He doesn't have good receivers consistently right now, and he doesn't have a good running game, so I think that's shown as well. And You look at the rest of the quarterbacks they've recruited. Ryan Stubblefield is a backup at Incarnate Word. Walter Simmons III spent about maybe a, a semester at quarterback here. Uh, became evident he was going to move to receiver, so he transferred to Bethune-Cookman where he's played a little bit but has not developed a lot there. Todd G. Hudson initially recruited as a quarterback, uh, trans- or transitioned to receiver, and then transferred to James Madison. So they just have not recruited well enough at the quarterback position, which if you've got a great quarterback, covers up a lot of warts offensively. That is not there right now, and that's the biggest issue. So the other thing, too, if I'm the OC, I'm coming in, I would uh, I would like to see that person. And if I was the OC, I would like to say, hey, I know what quarterback fits my system. Here's three guys in the portal. Here's three guys at JUCO, three guys in general, whatever, that I want to fit my system. And I think that person should get kind of full control based on the way ECU has, has recruited quarterbacks to this point. Um, so that – That's a major issue. you got to be able to develop a quarterback, and Steve Logan has talked about it on his show before. Even he didn't know. People call him a quarterback guru. He said he would take three quarterbacks at minimum a year because he didn't know which one would pan out because you just don't know until you throw them out there in a game. So if I'm ECU, I'm bringing in at least three quarterbacks. We know Cole Hodge is committed. We assume he'll sign, but he's a high school kid. We know they're recruiting a Juco quarterback, and we know they're going to recruit a a portal quarterback. So it feels like ECU will add – at least three quarterbacks at some point this offseason, and we'll see how it all plays out. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the show. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday.
0: Hey, what's happening, man? What's happening? Tell me what's hey! happening. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Steve Igo I go on 94.3 The Game.
1: Welcome back in. Hoist the Colors wrapping things up on this reaction. Monday, East Carolina falls to 2-9. They lose 10-0 to Navy. And they will wrap up the regular season against Tulsa this Saturday, 2 o'clock kickoff inside Dottie Ficklin Stadium. It'll be senior day. Last time, we get a chance to watch Julius Wood and Jeremy Lewis, among others, play in an East Carolina uniform. So if you can get there, I know it's tough Thanksgiving weekend, get out there. We'll talk about a lot of the seniors later this week. A few questions here as we wrap up the show. Chuck wants to know, in my opinion, will Mason Garcia be back next year? I don't see it, Chuck. I would love for uh, for Mason to stick around. Great kid, great human being. Uh, I've always enjoyed my interactions with Mason, but and maybe he gets a shot again this weekend. But with the new OC coming in, with him having kind of been here, waited his turn, getting his shot, and you know to this point not delivering, maybe it's best he goes somewhere else with a fresh start and takes some pressure off his shoulders. So I, I think I think you're going to see. A completely new quarterback room next year. Maybe one of the three is back, but I think uh, I think Mason more than likely. It just makes sense to me he would leave. But maybe I'm I'm looking at it the wrong way. Maybe he he uh, will return. We'll find out here soon enough. Chuck also wants to know who extended Mike Houston's contract. He was extended after the 2021 season by John Gilbert. Uh, of course, signed off on by the chancellors and the board of trustees. I mean, at the time. It made sense to give him an extension. And ECU, of course, went on to to have another winning season and a bowl victory. You know, you could argue maybe you should have tried to do less years, less money, but Mike Houston's got a great agent. He's got the best agent in the game as far as coaching, uh, Jimmy Sexton. So it's going to be tough to extend him without getting some, uh, some big numbers there. And, uh, you know, at the time, I think it was pretty well-received and it's just one of those things when you have success and Coach Houston was getting some interest as well from other schools you know either you kind of extend them or or maybe he starts taking more calls so it's a tough situation there uh, Chuck says Mason got his own commercial yes Anson Belt and Buckle by the way Anson Belt and Buckle lock hit or did it at the Broncos over the Vikings although the Vikings covered the spread uh, they had the Mason Garcia commercial also sponsor Antoine Jackson and Tegan Wilk all right well, Philip, this has been a it's been a Reaction Monday show, but it's been more like Coordinator Corner show. I mean, we're just talked about coordinators for like an hour.
0: Yeah, but hey, you know what? let us mix it up a little bit. Uh, we we're kind of talking and it's been a little vanilla on these Mondays, so it's good to change yeah. it up and hey, you know when the season gets near an end, whether you're having a good year or a bad year, you talk about coordinators leaving. If it's good, it's in one way. If it's bad, it's another. And we're in a weird situation where we kind of talked about it both ways. But, hey, here we are. This is what it is.
1: Appreciate you, as always, Phillip. Uh, Programming notes. So we will be here as scheduled, 12 noon to 1 Eastern, the rest of the week outside of Thursday for Thanksgiving. We will have Thanksgiving off, no show, on Thursday. We will have a show on Black Friday. Full disclosure, we'll record that on Wednesday. Because the studio will be shut down, but we will still air it on Friday. We'll still have it available in podcast form. As always, download the Hoist the Colors 94.3 the game podcast in your podcast channel. Subscribe there. Like us on YouTube. Subscribe. We will have plenty of discussion in the days, weeks to come about this coordinator change, also about East Carolina going forward, personnel changes, and much more. So stay tuned to us every day, 12 noon. Hoist the colors 943 the game. We'll see you tomorrow.